Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Asband, our daf of the day, Masachat Beitza, daf Tet Zion, page 16. So, you may have noticed, we have noticed, these dafim are long, and they are rich, and there's much in them, and we cannot talk about them all, and especially as we are trying to kind of navigate this period of the Chagim, um, and we know that you are as well, uh, we don't want to bog you down, so we're going to try to kind of give you some abbreviated episodes and also um, hit some of the, I guess, the headlines, you know, the punchiest parts of the daf. So I'm going to start from the very, very top. This is perfectly, perfectly timed, right? All of the uh, a person's entire livelihood is allocated to him, right? It's uh, appointed to each person in the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, except for the expenditures that are going to be used for Shabbat and Yontif, meaning those expenditures seem to be like in a separate pocket. And also school tuition. I don't think it's any school tuition, right? It's if you're spending tuition for your kid to go learn Torah, all of that is kind of this separate pocket. The idea is that if you would reduce the amount of money that you have for those purposes, meaning for Shabbat, for Yantif, for Talmud Torah, so then that's going to like not be counted against your income for that from what was designated for you in this time period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Now, I think it, it bears commenting that we're talking about uh, taking a really difficult abstract theological concept of of what our terms are in the world and you know distilling it down to a, a very concrete kind of you know allocating of sums on the other hand um i think this is how we function you know like even if we can sit there and say well there's no re- you know to what extent is there a a book in the sky where all of this is written down it doesn't have to be that for us to understand that there is that there are there's a calendar and times in the year where where different things kind of there's the ebb and flow of what's going to happen for us in the year. We trust and have some amount of faith that this is how God is running the world, or if you prefer, it is beyond our comprehension. So this is the way we talk about it. Um, okay, the idea is also here that you know you can take comfort in the fact that you've already been given all the money that you're going to need over the course of the year. It's already allocated to you. So whatever you're going to need. Whatever you need to borrow, whatever you need to use, the the kind of default is that you get to rest on your laurels, not entirely, but to say, okay, you know what, you're taken care of, and now you can figure out how to how to spend that money, I suppose, or how to allocate it yourself. The Gemara goes on, and I'm going to jump just a drop um, to a bright that is going to talk about Shammai and Hillel. Now, we've been talking a lot about Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Here we're talking about their... What they're the progenitors, right? The people who were the original, um, the original disputants. Tanya, Amrualav al Shamai Hazakain. So this is Shamai the elder. What did they say? Every day, all of his days, every day, he would eat lechvod Shabbat. He, let's say he finds something nice that's going to be, he says, oh, well, I'm going to save this food for, 
for Shabbat. And then he finds something better. Then he can say, oh, well, I'm going to eat this now. The first one now, I'm going to save this one for Shabbat. We've seen this approach to Shabbat um, in Masachat Shabbat. Uh, the story of Yosef Moker Shabbat is one of them. There was a whole bunch of stories there of how people would kind of make their whole week revolve around the, the Shabbat that would come. So this is uh, some insight into who Shammai was and the idea that, you know, the whole week ends up being subservient, uh, dependent, whatever, subordinate to Shabbat. But Hillel, Aval Hillel Hazakain, Mida Acher Taitalo, he treated everything in a different way. Shekom Asav Lashem Shemaim. He said everything has to be Lashem Shemaim. Not everything is geared towards Shabbos, but everything that he does throughout the entirety of the week is going to be L'Shem Shemaim, Shneemar, Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. He takes this verse from Psalms, right? This idea that blessed is the Lord uh, day day by day, every day, right? Sorry. So what happens here then is it boils down to Beit Shammai saying, I'm focusing on Shabbat. Every day is, is geared with that eye towards the end of the week. And Beit Hillel is looking at each day in, an, in an, its own right and treating it as its own special day. I think that this is kind of representative of not only Beit Hillel, uh, not only Hillel and Shammai, but also Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, and the way they treat, um, you know, where there's going to be a stringency and where there's going to be a leniency. A lot of it, I feel, is you know, what is the circumstance before your very eyes? How are you treating that? And are you going, or are you going to be stringent for something that is like the bigger concept or or behind the scenes? And that's you know, let's say more typically Beit Shammai. So I just like that there's, you know, the Gemara here sort of shares these two very different approaches. And yes, it fits their personalities, um, you know, how to sort of celebrate Shabbos. Are you sort of saving up each week so that, you know, just Shabbos itself is what's special? Or do you sort of go through life with the approach of Hillel, which is that you sort of find something special about each and every day? Um, And I think they're two very, I think you can incorporate both philosophies but they are sort of two different approaches to existence. I just want to add one comment that I forgot. Rashi takes this approach of, Beit, of Hillel and says, really what's happening for him is not that he's ignoring Shabbat, but that he's trusting that Shabbat will take care of itself or Hashem will take care of Shabbat as right. it comes. He doesn't have to kind of gear himself all week to it. it it's a different, it's like, a, I don't know if this is fair to say, but I feel it's like a less nervous approach. If there's, if there's, yeah, something- it's like it's gonna just, it'll happen. He's not worried he won't get something good. Um, so I'm gonna read two small sections here on this stuff. Um, the first is a statement of Rabbi Yochanan and Amad Alam. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan, Mitchum Rabbi Shum Ben Yochai. Call me so Chanatan Lahem Akadosh for a holy Israel, Natan Lahem before Hesia. So he states here that all the mitzvot that Hashem gave in Israel were all given publicly. Chutz mi Shabbat Chanatan Lahem Betina, except for Shabbat, which was given privately. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. And so I think quoting your Pasuk from Shmot, chapter 31, verse 17. And I think the idea is something that's between a person and another being, right? There's something private about it. Only the two of you know about it. And so there's something private about Shabbat. I also thought about this, that like, in a certain way, like keeping Shabbat is also private, right? Like, Yes, there are things you would do in front of other people, but a lot of how we keep Shabbat is 
sort of what we do by ourselves, even when our family or friends are not watching us. And so I think there's something sinah just about keeping Shabbat itself. And so then the Gemara goes on to ask a very interesting question. So if that's the case, then how can non-Jews be punished, right, for not keeping Shabbat? Because we're saying basically it's sort of a secret. It's not something they necessarily know about. Shabbat odai odianhu matan lo odianu. So the Gemara basically says no. They know about Shabbat, but they didn't know about the reward about Shabbat. Amen. If you want, you could say you could say they even knew about its reward. God, like God told non-Jews about the reward. But they don't know that there's an additional soul giving to a person. In other words, almost in a way like they don't know how peaceful and restful and great Shabbat can be. And then, you know, this is a very famous Gemara. Right? So Shimon ben Lakish says, an additional soul is given to a person on Erev Shabbat. And after Shabbat, it's taken away. Right? Because it says he stops work and is refreshed. That's Vayinafash. And so that plan word is the Neshama Yeter. And this is from Shemot chapter 31, verse 17. Once he stops working, Right. Uh, what, you know, and then Shabbat once, you know, uh, and, and then Shabbat ends. Right. Then the additional uh, the, the additional soul is lost. The Neshama Yatera is is actually lost. Um, and I think, you know, th- this I, I thought about this because today in our modern world, there's a lot of discussion about this idea with technology of like the fact that the Sabbath gives you like the 24 seven. Sorry, that, you know, one day a week. A break and that the rest of the week is sort of 24-6, but you get these 24 hours off. And I've seen many articles written by either, let's say, not as, uh, in you know, observant Jews or even non-Jews who have sort of advocated this, like, it's good to take the Sabbath rest. And so I think that's kind of what the Neshama Yatera is. Like, there's something really restoring to us when we spend a whole day really on spiritual matters um, that I think even the modern world is starting to really recognize. I think there's something to that. I think that anybody I've encountered who has encountered Shabbat, meaning people who do not keep Shabbat, whether because they're not religious Jews or because they're not Jewish to begin with, and then they see, you know, people who do keep Shabbat, I have seen envy, right? Where they don't feel that they could take the day off because they need to do whatever else they need to do. The same way that we wouldn't take the day off if we didn't feel an obligation to, right? Like there's too much to do. But I, I think that your point is very well taken, that there's, that there's a, a value to it that people recognize in the observe, in the I don't mean in the observance, like keeping it. I mean, in observing people who, who keep it, um, that there's something beloved about it. There's something to, desirable about it, having that break. And so I'm going to end uh, with one last piece here, just to get back to Erev Tavshilam, which is really what the topic is. And there's an interesting story on Amud Bet. So there was a blind person who would sort of read the Mishnayos in front of Marshmallow. And so Marshmallow um, saw that he was sad. So Marshmallow says to him, why are you sad? He says, because I didn't make the Erev Tavshilan before Chag. So he says, fine. 
you can rely, Marshmallow says, rely on my air tough shoeing. Okay? Lishna chaze dahabayatsi. And again, another time, he sees that he's sad. Right? Amarle, amayatsifta. So again, he says to him, why are you sad? Amarle, tolo otive ruvi tefshilin. So again, he says, I didn't make my air tefshilin. Amarle, posheat. He says, basically, you're negligent. So he says, everybody else is allowed to rely on the Arab, the communal Arab, because that's what the piece before talked about, is that many rabbis and cities would make a communal Arab tefshilin, which is what we do today, actually, now also, so that if you forget it, you know, you, you still can rely on it. If you forget to make your own Arab tefshilin. But here what we learn in this story is you can't rely on that. And here we see Marshmallow scolding somebody because he was always relying on it. And he basically said, you're not allowed to rely on the communal one. So I think this is an important part of Erev Tavshilin. Yes, it's something the individual has to do. Yes, you're covered by sort of the communal one. But if you're going to rely on the communal one, then you're not really covered. So an important thing to keep in mind about Erev Tavshilin. So if I may, I'll bring it back to the approach of Hill and Shammai at the beginning, right, where each of them is functioning with a, a constant awareness of how they function, right? Either Likrat Shabbat or each day, it's a constant awareness of, of paying attention with diligence to everything that they're doing. And I think that this kind of critique of, you know, you you bozo, you're being negligent with your, your ear of and once was reasonable, once you can rely on the others, but once you kind of take that in hand, I'm reminded of the people who say like, but, but you know, I forget these things. Well, if you're the kind of person who forgets these things, whatever the thing might be, then you you know you have to put in greater diligence, right? I feel like Hillel and Shame themselves each would say, but but you have to focus on what your your bigger picture here. So I'm not saying that the Gemara is really trying to come full circle that way, but it works for me, you know, the that there's like a an ethic here from the beginning of the daf that is upheld in the negative at the end of the daf. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.